Welcome to episode 86 of the Set Me Edge podcast. We recorded this three times over already. My name is Justin Mosqueda. You can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q. I'm here with my co-host, Charles McDonald. You can find him on Twitter at Forbert. Say what's up to people, Chuck. What's up? What's up? Uh, we are here with a uh, divisional round preview, except we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to recap the wildcard games, and then we're going to talk about some of the head coaching hires and answer one of, or not one of the, but a few of the one million questions that you guys sent in, and then we're going to preview uh, the divisional games. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot to talk about. We we got Cliff Kingsbury to the NFL. Matt Lafleur got hired by the Packers. Bruce Arians is back. Uh, the Browns promoted Freddie Kitchens. So, uh, hopefully, we have some at, at least decent discussion about this. But first, we're going to start off with the wild card games, and the first one was the Houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts. Since I started off last time and we didn't decide to continue with that, Justice, you start off this time with your thoughts on the game. Uh, I thought Houston was going to win. Um, I was actually pretty surprised. All right, I, I thought I thought the line was good. I, th- I thought Houston should have been the favorite at home. I thought Indianapolis was the better team overall slightly. Um, but when you look at really the slate that Deshaun Watson had to pass against, if you look at his numbers and adjust for the past defense, he actually had, like, a Pro Bowl season this year. Um, the issue was he just took all those sacks, and a lot of that had to do with his offensive line. So I, I thought, you know, really it would have to be, like, Watson keeping the game close with his arm and then, like, J.J. Watt just going off on the defensive side. And uh, they just came out looking like limp fish, man, you know? Just not a good game. Yeah, I mean, back to J.J. Watt, like, that Colts offensive line is legit. Because, I mean, Which, there was a J.J. play. J.J. was getting it off early. And then, like, after the quarter, yeah. it was, no, nah, he, he was gassed. Yeah, he had a tackle for loss against Quentin Nelson in the first quarter of the game. And then that was legitimately the only play in the backfield that the Colts made the entire game. They had one tackle for loss that won in the uh, first quarter. And then they had zero sacks throughout the rest of the game. And, like, when you're going against J.J. Watt and Clowney and Merciless, that's pretty surprising to me and just completely hold them at bay so I think when you look at the Colts offensive line this isn't anything new this is something that people have been saying you know for the better part of two and a half months now but that offensive line is formidable and definitely one of the best in the game you just see when they can go toe-to-toe with elite players with guys like Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson and Brayden Smith uh, they, I mean they, they can really just beat up anybody but that game was just brutal to watch because they were because you know, the Colts came out to a pretty hot start and they were up twenty-one to nothing. But then the Texans defense kind of settled in, but the Texans offense never got going. So you kind of got a second half where nothing was really happening outside of Deshaun Watson making some scramble plays, and uh, you know it, it's just kind of tough to beat teams. I mean, any team in the postseason if you can't consistently throw the ball, and that's what we saw happening to the Texans. And you know it, it's not. There was there were so many dumb hot takes after that game where you know you got some of the old crusty guys who still write about sports being like see you see this is why you have to win games from the pocket and this is why you have to play quarterback <laughs> like, in the pocket like right? like he wasn't a pro bowl like he wasn't a borderline pro bowl quarterback from the pocket this year despite taking like sixty sacks right it, you know you, you just kind of get the one game that everyone's watching at the same time and that's that's usually where the takes are born from. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought the Texans were going to win this game too, and they just did not show up. And I, I, I they have like, and you, you touched on it, but they have like some super duper hardcore serious pass protection issues. Like, like I, I, I think no matter who 
your offensive line is, Watson is going to be a guy that takes sacks. But, I mean, 62 in a season is just an insane amount, and that's just not really a sustainable way to go. So, you know, if the Texans uh, have their wits about them, this offseason should be, like, almost entirely devoted to fixing that offensive line and then maybe some secondary help too. But it, it was just a pretty – Definitely. I mean, they, they, they play so much too high, just like floating zone. Yeah, like Andrew Luck was just standing back there picking him apart. Because if you can't get pressure, I mean, these they're just running through your secondary, you know? Like, that was right. an awful yeah. matchup for him, I feel like. And it, and it doesn't even matter. Because, I mean, there have been points this season where I've just been like, yo, who the hell is Andrew Luck throwing the ball to? Like, I, I think that first – or that Thursday night game they played against the Patriots when I first realized, like, I can name one – Andrew Luck receiver in T.Y. Hill, and he spends time out part of almost every season. So, uh, <laughs> And it just doesn't really matter who your receivers are when you can't get close to home. And then uh, on the back end, you're just letting guys run free through the secondary. Like, that is just an insustainable way to play football. And it finally bit the Texans in the ass. And, you know, something that we touched on in the episode that we didn't get to upload because everything got fucked up uh, was the Colts and the Texans. They were like two teams that were – almost trending on different paths. I know that the Texans obviously had the better record for the season, but the Colts were playing like the better football team going into that game. So I, I guess it wasn't totally surprising to see them come away with the win, but just how inept they made the Texans offense look was, was a little surprising to me. For sure. And uh, so you talked about like the Texans offensive line. We've talked about this for a while now. We're like, this kind of comes back down to like the effects of the Brock Osweiler contract still to this day of like, this is what happens when you miss on a big deal like that. Like they got, they basically spent two off seasons and a draft, like two free agency classes and a draft class turning um, Brock Osweiler into Deshaun Watson. And this is what it, this is the ramifications on the rest of the roster. Like you have your quarterback. Yes. But when you swing and miss on a guy, like there are still negative consequences in the NFL to bad contracts. And the other thing too is Indianapolis, man, Indianapolis has got like, 120 million dollars in cap space next year like they already are kind of like set on the offensive side and they're not bad on the defensive end either um so they can get wide receivers or whatever else they want you know i I think indianapolis next year is going to be way better than this year i think they're the weakest team left in the afc they're better than like dallas and philadelphia in the nfc um but they made it this far and they're going to be even better next year i think yeah so if you just look at what the colts are working with like they have well, hundred I think it's about hundred twenty three million dollars in cap space for this upcoming offseason. And they still have Andrew Luck on contract for three more years. Like they don't have to And their worry offensive about that line until... is set. Like set. Yep. And they're only playing like yeah. young guys on the defensive side. Like they're kind of they're rolling in like house money right now. Like they can do crazy stuff if they want to. Right. And it's kind of funny though, because uh <laughs> I remember like our take during the summer was like they Oh, they're they're forfeiting this year by sitting on this cap space. Nope, uh, that was actually incredibly. Long. It was, it was uh, a good take until like October when Andrew Luck started playing good. Yeah, uh, but I mean, just I mean, just the way that they've done it. When you look at their draft class from last year, the first three picks: Quentin Nelson, uh, what's that guy's name? Darius Leonard, and then Braden Smith. Like that's two all pros as rookies, and then Braden Smith, who has just been incredibly solid at right tackle, like. That that's really how you get started on a rebuild, and when you can when you can give Andrew Luck the protection he's need, the protection he hasn't really had 
since he's been there, like you can just kind of see the effects of, of, of how it works. So I don't really, I don't know if the Colts are a team that can beat the Chiefs on the road. Uh, I think there's a blueprint for them too, and we'll get to that later. But man, like this is a super duper impressive start for them, and they have so much room to play around with. Uh, and don't forget, they also have the second round pick from the Jets from the Sam Darnold trade, which yeah. can be the third pick, the third pick in the second round, which means they're still getting a real high quality player there. So, you know, th- this is a team that's building like, like a program, like, like we've talked about with the Falcons before. It didn't come, quite come to fruition this year, but this is a team that's going to be able to s- just stack assets and keep building talent and keep building depth. So rest of the AFC South, watch out for the Colts. Uh, anything else we want to say about that game? No, the next game, the, uh, the night game on Saturday was the Seahawks at the Cowboys. Oh, good grief. Where Russell Wilson had like, a 20-point lead in passer rating over Dak Prescott somehow lost. Because Brian Schottenheimer, man, just committing to the run so much. And, like, they, they were running for, I think, three yards a carry. Um, Pete Carroll, yep. after the game, said, I wish we would have run in the first half more. And I looked. I think there were two pass attempts on first and second down where they threw the ball, and it went less than three yards. And it was, um, I think it was, like, less than seven yards even. Um, so double what they would have gotten on an average rush attempt, right? And one was a throw to the running back, which went for a negative, and one was the single incompletion. So if he's talking about, like, I wish we would have run more, like, he's either talking about two attempts or he's, like, just does not have a handle of how well his team was running, you know? Like, at the end of the day, that's what he's saying, right? Like, there's there's no other – like, he's not turning down the seven-yard pass attempt for a three-yard run. Right, like it just doesn't make sense what he said in the press conference. This team's just so overcommitted to the run that it's starting to make me question if, like, Russell Wilson, twenty twenty, is he going to be extended, or are they just going to say, you know, you want one hundred sixty million, and we're trying to make you hand off? Like, do they let him walk? Like, what the hell is going to go on there? I don't know, but I mean, the the Seahawks' offense is just. I don't. I I can't. I honestly can't recall where a team had a really good passing offense and they just didn't really elect to pass the ball like that. It it's, it, it doesn't really make much sense. And it, and one of the one of the jarring things was if you if you go back and you look at one of their touchdown drives, I think it was when Russell Wilson ran it in Oh yeah, I found it. One of the touch, touchdown drives to make the game 14 to 10. Uh so here's how they started off the drive. First and 10 at Dallas 44. Rashad Penny up the middle for three yards. Second and seven, uh, Chris Carson, right guard, no gain. Third and seven, Mike Davis up the middle, Dallas 39 for two yards. So you've run it three times in a row for five yards. And then fourth and five, Russell Wilson, deep ball, left to uh, Doug Baldwin, out of bounds, uh, 22 yards. Like, you have the weapons to make this work. And, and if you just look at even just guys like Tyler Lockett, like Russell Wilson had a perfect pass rating this season passing to Tyler Lockett in the, the way that Russell Wilson's throwing touchdowns. Like it, it just doesn't make sense why you would handicap a quarterback like this. Like when you have someone that's playing at an elite level and you just refuse to let them really dominate the game for you. Yeah. And the other thing too, I, th- I think that was the drive that he scored the touchdown, right? Yeah. That was when they had like the little read option. Yeah. That was the one time they ran the read option the entire time. It's a damn playoff game, dude. What, what the hell are we doing here? And then the other thing, too, was, like, they weren't really going for the win, right, until, like, halfway through the fourth quarter. And it's like, man, the NFL's nuked onside kicks 
to such a level that it's like third quarters are now fourth quarters, right? Like you need to start going for fourth down on like in the third quarter if you're down two scores type thing. And like they just, I don't know, man. Like it, it really looked like someone from like 2003 coming in and coaching an NFL game without knowing like the rules changed. Yeah. I, so if you, even if you just look at it outside of Russell Wilson, Rashad Penny had four carries for 29 yards with a long of 28. Uh, Chris Carson had 13 carries for 20 yards with a long of five. So his other 12 car- his other 12 carries went for 15 yards. Mike Davis had four carries for 10 yards with a long of three. So, you know, you're really just you're, like you're just forcing plays that don't work onto your onto your team. So they had 24 carries for 73 yards, and the longest run was was for 28 yards. Like that's just unsustainable and it doesn't make sense to do that especially on the back when you got russell wilson throwing for 8.6 yards in the tent it, it, it's just almost like simple math like you could get three yards on a carry or you could get almost nine yards in the pass with the way that russell wilson is playing and they elect for the run every time and then to come out and double down on that after the game it's it's just it's just baffling really it's kind of what we're saying with zimmer too right because like zimmer's kind of said the same thing where he's like we need to like commit to the run more and then you look at the running numbers, like you guys are awful at running the ball. Like your your issue is the same. It's the same thing with the Pete Carroll thing, where like I'm sure he would have wanted more rush attempts on first and second down. But what he's not understanding is it's not that he's he would have rather had rush attempts over pass attempts that he did complete. Right? It's that he wish he would have sustained drives longer, and he wasn't sustaining drives because he wasn't running well enough. Right? Like it's, it, it seems right. it seems as simple as that, but I don't know. We'll see. I guess. I mean, a lot of these guys, you <laughs> you have people t- tweeting out that like it's not about the rushing yards; it's about the rushing attempts. Like the yards are just bonus, and it's like, oh my god, dude. God. <laughs> like you want you want a third and long pass every single drive? That's who the fuck does that? Or like That's... at least if you're gonna run, run the option. It's a damn playoff game. You only do it at the goal line. It'll work the one time you did it. I mean, you could go back, like, the NFC Championship game 2014 when they played Green Bay, they did the same thing, where it's like they didn't really unleash the read option until it was, like, last second, and then they lucked out and ended up getting a recovered fumble and stuff like that. But I don't know. That's not – like, the Brandon Bostic play doesn't happen again under these rules, right? Like, there's a bunch of things that have even changed since 2014. You have to adjust to the rule changes, man. And it looks like a team that hasn't – that just basically ignored – the past 15 years of NFL rule changes, basically. Yeah, and how great is this? Spending a first-round pick on Rashad Penny, he gets 85 carries his rookie season. He's like their third-best running back, yeah. Congrats. Uh, yeah. Go Seahawks. I mean, who could have told you that Brian Schottenheimer would poop on it when uh, when it mattered most? I mean, it's not like he had uh, prime Nick Chubb and uh, Sony Michelle in Georgia and, and couldn't score, had the 85 85- the 85th best uh, scoring offense in college football with two first round running backs. Nope, that didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, I think I think the Seahawks got a lot of soul searching to do this off season, but I don't think that they have the people in place to make the correct decisions, at least on offense. So, you know, I, I'm sure we'll see more of the same next season. Do we want to talk? Do we have anything to say about the Cowboys? Uh, no. You guys got lucky. You're gonna lose next round. So, all right. Uh, sounds good. Worst team in the playoffs. Uh. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday was Sunday was uh, I I think more interesting. I mean the Dallas Seattle Dallas got got interesting towards the end of the game, but I mean 
how what do we want to say about this Chargers Baltimore game? Because for the vast majority of the game, I mean, I, I I'm pre- like Lamar Jackson was was not great, putting it kindly, but I don't think that the Ravens offense really did him that many favors either. No, I mean post game the guys were talking about like how um, the Chargers defensive players, who by the way they didn't play any linebackers in the entire game. They were playing safeties and linebackers, yeah. which was pretty cool to see. Um, but besides, besides the train picks thing, um, they were talking about basically how, like, when when Baltimore had, like, two tight ends on the same side, they knew, like, it was one of two plays. It was, like, belly or it was going to be, uh, like, counter, counter read or something like that. Yeah. So I, I, I think um, Baltimore is just not changing things up well enough. But I think we saw where, like, Lamar can kind of play in a spread. It just took a massive deficit for him to get into the spread. And it's not like they were really in a position to learn that in season. You know, they never right. played anyone yeah. twice. So they never had to like really change things up on the offensive side. Um, where I'm sure like if, if you ran the Georgia tech offense in the NFL and you played six games against divisional opponents, they would probably play that better than like ACC teams do same one option team the entire year. Right. So I think, I think there's some level of credence to that. And then also, um, Baltimore was winning football games, so they never really had to uh, learn how to play down with Lamar. You know, outside of what was it, the KC game? I want to say. Yeah, Kansas City game, and, and he did throw the touchdown that should have won the game, and then Mahomes turned into Jesus Christ himself and yeah. threw that fourth down pass. So I, I, I think we learned some stuff about Lamar, but I think. Uh, Calling his NFL career over after a half was pretty interesting, and things got real quiet real fast in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun to see, like, because that fourth quarter was like Lamar Jackson at his best, but it just took so long to get there. And not even like the fourth quarter; it was really when he hit that play to uh, Kenneth Dixon after scrambling so far, which you like, okay, you know, this is why you drafted in the first round. But uh, I I think that that point you made earlier, where the Chargers defense they could they could see what the Ravens were going to do just really by the the tight end sets that they had on the field it kind of goes to a point where you can be I I, like you can have I I guess creative plays I guess you know compared to what NFL styles are running and creative just means like I guess more option like spread option shit but that doesn't mean you're a creative play caller you know you you can kind of get stuck in, in in ruts where yeah, like you're running these option plays, but you're running all the same option plays, and defense can sniff that, sniff that out pretty easily. And like you have a guy like Lamar Jackson who really opened up the entire run game. I mean, Gus Edwards became someone that we came we cared about during the back half of the season just because of Lamar's presence. So you know, I, I think the Ravens' offensive staff needs to kind of figure that out this off season. And and you know, to your point, you said like they really have to figure us out on the fly. So. Hopefully year two of this looks a little bit less predictable, but you know, that fourth quarter is pretty fun. Uh, I mean, even the Chargers offense wasn't really anything to go home about. They settled for a shit ton of field goals in this game. Chargers low key have not been great. Like the last month and a half, man, even though like rivers overall stats have looked good. um, They've definitely slowed down on the offensive side, which is like setting up for the perfect him collapsing in new England game. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, especially if it snows, like this could. I feel like we're we're in for some like peak Chargers football 
like some something where Philip Rivers is down 30 seconds left with the entire field to go and, and just can't get it done. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that Patriots Chargers game later. But I mean, o- overall, it was just it was kind of fun to see two defense pretty much be locked in for the entire game outside of like that fourth quarter. Uh, but man, like the one thing I will say about Lamar Jackson is the fumbles, dude. Like, yeah, you you you, you got to get this figured out, like, dude, now because he recovered that one where it looked like he was just fucking dribbling the ball. Yeah, I, I don't know how many fumbles he had. Oh, he's oh, had okay, he's had I'm like sixteen this year or something like that. Something just he, crazy. So in the regular season, he had uh, ten fumbles rushing and two. Uh, passing and then he had three fumbles in that game so I, I that that is just like that's something to me that's probably going to correct himself just because at Louisville that was so far out of the norm right from from what he was doing like I think our our, our pal Derek Klassen said Lamar Jackson fumbled at three times the rate uh that he did in college which to me is almost unsustainably bad it's kind of like when you look at Watson as a rookie and yeah, like his touchdown percentage was unsustainable, but his interception percentage was also kind of ridiculously high too. So I, I think that that's kind of come back down to earth. And, uh, you know, it, it'd just be fun for the NFL if Lamar Jackson turned out to be good. Uh, and I don't think that you could really make any grand sweeping statements on his outlook based on that game in either either direction. Really. No, don't, don't change your mind about rookie quarterbacks after a year. You look like a bozo. I've done it before. And then I ran the numbers. You know, I, I realized my mistakes now. I've learned my lesson. Yep, same. I was definitely on the Carson Wentz and Jared Goff for nine of, like, not really NFL talents uh, after their, their first year. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll move on. And we can talk about the Eagles versus the Bears, which I think was probably the only game I picked correctly last week, both on the podcast and for the SB Nation staff picks was the only game that I got right. Um, I went... What did I go? This was I, I bet two games. I bet Seattle to cover, and they covered by a half point because Janikowski was out, so they had to go for two. So I covered by a half point because of that, and then I covered the Chargers game. But this one was the one that I picked wrong. I thought I, I had the Bears by six or more, and that was not going to happen. Um, both of these quarterbacks played awfully, honestly. I, I, I saw I saw that <laughs> Peter Schrager thing where he was talking about how. There's no one he would rather have in the clutch than than Nick Foles. Man, Nick Foles just threw two interceptions, and the kicker missed, and that's why, right? Like, are we giving Foles credit yeah. for a kicker missing? Like, this offense scored in the teens. It's not like he was putting up forty like it was the Super Bowl again. Like, Foles isn't a good quarterback. I don't I don't know what we're doing here, but I w- I will fully embrace uh, the Eagles if they can continue to win. I just want to see the chaos of them being like. Like the reverse Bledsoe Brady thing, we're like, fuck it, trade trade Carson Wentz. Bulls gave us two rings, give him a hundred sixty million dollars, right? That would just be something <laughs> hilarious to watch. Yeah, and it, you know, even on the flip side, if you look at Trubisky, there were there were, you know, there were people like praising Trubisky after the game, which kind of, uh, like what what's going on here? Because he only really had one good drive at the end Dude, of the game. Dude, and like, outside of I, that. I don't think he had an interception, but he, he was trying. He was trying pretty hard, man. <laughs> like, I, I, I counted, I, there were three, there were three that were just pure drops by the Eagles that I remember off the top of my head. And Robert Mays tweeted out that he had four that were, that should have been interceptions. And it's not like those plays where, you know, you throw it up and, you know, 
both the receiver and the DB have a chance at the ball and, you know, it kind of gets knocked to the ground that way. It's like Mitch doesn't see the safety rotating right towards the middle of the field and the dude just drops it as it hits him right in the chest. Like it was those types of plays that the Bears just kind of got lucky on. And, you know, you only scored 15 points with those lucky breaks. And coming into the game, it's not like Matt Nagy's offense have been tearing it up all season. They had like that one half against the Bucks, but when you really look at it, if you look at like their points scored for the season, it looks good. But you have to remember that the defense contributed like a, a decent amount of that. Cause I mean, they had touchdowns versus the Bills. They had touchdowns versus the Lions. Uh, this is a defense that was making big plays at almost an unsustainable rate, which is something that we're probably going to talk about in the future as we look towards like season previews and stuff. But uh, it's, Really, really disappointing game for the Bears offense. I mean, to only put up 15 points at home when the defense certainly did enough to win. Uh, for sure. I, I, I don't really know where you go from here, especially when Vic Fangio's out and now he's the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Also, you don't really have a lot of cap space because you just paid everyone and you don't have a first-round pick. It's kind, of, it's kind of setting up a little bit for a disaster year, I think. Because I think you could see the Jacksonville Jaguars potential type thing, right? Where, like, people... People fought back on the the Blake Bortles contract, right? And they were like, well, why'd you give him a second deal? And then people would say, you know, they were six in scoring offense last year without realizing that, like, field position is still, like, a thing and field position dictates touchdowns, right? And, like, Blake Bortles might have had an average year statistically, um, but when the defense isn't playing that well, then you could see how those numbers start to crash, right? And I don't know that we're out of that spectrum for the potential of uh, Trubisky next year. That's that's the big right. that's the big thing where I'm like with the Matt Nagy thing where people are talking about him as coach of the year and I'm like he had like the most average offense in the NFL you know like I don't know yeah and he's an offensive coach like I don't know I guess yeah it, it, and you know just to your point with the Jaguars like it's it's really hard to do like what the Seahawks did from 2013 to 2015, where you just have like years of just elite pass defenses smashed together like that. Like what the Jaguars did is more realistic where you have the all time great year in 2017. And then in 2018, you're still a good pass defense, but you come back down to earth a little bit. And now the offense has to match like the defensive regression or for you to stay Along, among like that top tier in the AFC or in the Bears case, the NFC. So, you know, I, I'm sure the Bears defense will still be good next year. We still don't know who's running it because Todd Bowles was rumored to take that Bears job. And then he uh, doubled, he went back and uh, signed the contract with the Bucks. So we don't know who's going to run that defense yet. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's time for Mitch Trubisky to put on his big board pants if the Bears want to be back in this situation next year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So with that, should we talk about some of these coaching hires since you mentioned Bowles or uh, Bowles? Yeah. Uh so let's see. There was one question. I mean, let's just start off with uh I mean, this question from Demetrius Harvey at Demetrius82. Uh what are your feelings about the new age offensive coaches, McVeigh, Shanahan, Kingsbury, and how important is it to have innovation? Uh, I mean, you wrote about Kingsbury today, so we can just start off there. Yeah. Um I think it's important. I think uh the NFL and college is pretty different. So if I could like elevator pitch what I wrote about Kingsbury um Kingsbury plays a four wide receiver offense and we really don't see that in the NFL two percent of uh NFL plays are four wide receiver plays um so when you look at it from that perspective 
you have to wonder, why, why doesn't the NFL run four wide receivers more? And when you look at the fact that they only have 46 guys who can play uh, in a football game on game days, that starts to explain a lot more stuff. Because if you have four wide receivers, right, and let's say – or four wide receivers on a play, let's say you bring six into a game, you can't be two injuries away from this wide receiver is running deep routes and he can't be subbed ever, right? So that means you probably have to have seven wide receivers that you're carrying on your game day roster. And with the way that the NFL works right now with special teams and stuff, it gets really hard to see how those numbers match up if you're going to have any tight end on your roster at all. And if you don't, then like guys like Chandler Jones are going to have to play right tackle for you on punt team, right? So like I think those are real questions that Kingsbury's going to have to answer. And I'm not sure how exactly he's going to do it. Um, so that that's kind of that would be my caution for uh, the air raid offense moving into the NFL on top of like, Hey, you're going to see press corners a lot more than you are in the big 12. Um, but I do think like, man, it seems pretty clear at this point, like the NFL is legislated to a point that like passing offense is the only consistent thing that you can do for your franchise. So if you're going to hire a head coach, make sure he's a good play caller. And if you're going to invest money, you better do it on the offensive side. Of the field. Oh yeah. So speaking of, a play caller. How do you feel about this Matt Floor hire to, to Green Bay? He's a little on the old I side, mean, but uh, he's handsome, <laughs> so it makes up for it a little bit. It, it I mean, the Floor thing was if you were just if you just erased like this year in Tennessee, the the resume looks pretty good because he got every he got Jimbo Fisher to think that Everett Goldson was something good because he was Notre Dame quarterback coach that year. Uh, after the year Ever Golson, that was his final year at Notre Dame. Uh, then he was a quarterbacks coach for the Falcons from 2015 to 2016. Then he went to uh, the Rams with Sean McVay for a year, and now this year was the first year that he called plays. And the Titans' offense was largely horrible. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it's just you they, know, they spent a lot of time the, establishing the run. Yeah, they did. And, you know, Deion Lewis looked like a guy for the first half of the season, and Derrick Henry became the guy. And they just looked like a team that didn't really have an offensive identity. But I, I assume that's going to be a little bit easier with Aaron Rodgers behind center instead of Mariota. Yeah, I went back and watched a lot of LaFleur tape, and no one is allowed to steal any of the ideas I'm about to say because I'm going to use them in a piece that I'm going to write up. But um, if you watch the first month or so of the season, um, LaFleur really did try to call plays a little bit like. Um, Sean McVay, where they were doing a lot of like the wide zone action, play action shots, turn your back to the defense, then pop back out, take a deep shot type thing. And then after like a month, he was like, you know what? Mariota's not any good at this. So why the hell am I even doing this? And they started doing a bunch of like shotgun trips bunch stuff that I find interesting. But yeah, you, you could tell by, you know, if it wasn't the wide receivers or the offensive line getting hurt, or, you know, Mariota being out and him having to play Gabbert. Um, there, there were just a lot of factors there that were like, man, this is not how I would build a football roster, right? Like, this isn't the Rams. This isn't the 16 Falcons. This isn't even the damn Texans, right, that he used to be a part of. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, I don't think he's going to fumble it at all. I'm more worried about who he's going to hire as an offensive line coach and stuff like that than anything else. Yeah, and I, I do I, I I just think it's so interesting the way that these hires kind of kind of developed where, you know, when you look at the resume of 
a Cliff Kingsbury. And I mean, not, not, I mean, obviously the passing numbers are outstanding, but when you just look at like, you know, 35 and 40, couldn't get a winning season with Mahomes, ran Baker out of town, you know, however you feel about that, that whole Baker situation, there's a lot written about it. Uh, Baker feels slighted. Kingsbury says they didn't do anything wrong, but still like you didn't get a lot of production out of guys that ended up being top 10 picks and one of the number one overall pick, uh, at least from a win standpoint. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see them, the NFL just kind of switch gears where you're just going to go, okay, we need someone who can come in here and coordinate a pass offense over someone who can come in here and be just like a straight up CEO and leader of this, a leader of this entire team. So uh, the Kingsbury hire, I think is going to be interesting because I don't think that you can judge it off year one because that roster still has a ways to go. Especially Their offensive line was like, was like a Texans bad. And a lot of that had to do with injuries and stuff like that, but. Yeah, I mean, they did lose all five starting offensive lines to into entry, but Josh Rosen, he still get he still gets get sacked forty five uh, times without starting the entire season, which is uh, wow. Yeah, uh, and they had guys like, they had guys <laughs> like Chad Williams just standing out there at wide receiver. Like Chad Williams played a ton of snaps for a guy who just did not touch a football. Like there's a yep. bunch of wasted uh, space, and if you're going to be a four wide receiver offense, man, like. I count two, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you count two, and the wheels could fall off of one on any se- at any second, you know. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald been great, but like if this thing where he's just not any good next year starts to happen, I don't really think anyone would be surprised. I mean, he only had a long catch of thirty-seven yards this year, uh, which is not great if this is someone that you're going to have to force touches to in your offense. I mean, he had 112 targets, uh, 734 yards. So, you know, you can already kind of see where the wheels are going to fall off. So really like your one ascending talented wide receiver is Christian Kirk and you you need probably three more to, to really run this offense. So I, and on top of that, like you said, it's just going to be a battle on game day to figure out who you want active, who you want inactive and how that's going to, hurt or help your team so I, I don't really think you can judge it too much in year one Rosen's numbers are probably going to increase by default because it's hard to be much worse than he was this year uh especially when you compare it to how passing offenses have rise I mean to, to post an, an adjusting that yards per attempt of like around three three yards is, is pretty pathetic so I, I'd expect that to just magically improve by itself like even if Cliff Kingsbury wasn't the coach so uh who else got hired so we have LaFleur, Freddie Kitchens, Freddie came, Freddie Corleone. Oh, yeah, that's right. Freddie Kitchens got promoted from Bounds OC. I mean, what a rise for him to go from Fucking running, running backs, backs coach, coach dude. My God. That's the, that's the one where, like, a lot of people are getting mad about Cliff getting that job, dude. Like, Freddie Kitchens was a running back coach last year. God damn, man. I, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. And did you – I don't know if you saw this today, but on the timeline – do you remember that clip from Hard Knocks where Todd Haley is telling Hugh Jackson, like, you know, we got to get mentally tougher and all that shit? Yeah. Freddie Kitchens was the one that started that conversation by saying that even if guys are hurt, they should still be, like, actively paying attention at practice. And it's like, it's like, whoa, that's the thing that wasn't going on there before? Like, he was saying that Duke Johnson, even if he's not going to practice, he should still be with the running backs during practice and, like, hanging out and absorbing. And he was, like, pushing back on that, which is... You know, I feel like a pretty benign request, you know? <laughs> it seems like it. I mean, you, you coach high school ball. Like, 
Yeah. That that shit happens like, all the time. You gotta be like, I, I remember there was a kid who was like, because they'll show up in like hoodies and stuff, and they're like, oh, coach, I don't feel good. All right, well, put on a helmet and just like go follow your position group. I saw a kid pull out his phone one time. I damn near put my foot up his ass. Yeah. I. Uh... But you know, that was, I, that I was think funny. I, yeah, that, you, you almost got me in trouble there. Back me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I got high headed at times too. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think it's interesting that I mean, Tyrone Tell this is the right hire, and I mean, it's really hard to say with any of these guys if it's the right hire. But I think they made a good decision by just promoting the guy that had success with Baker. If you're just gonna go straight up. We need a play caller. Here's someone that did it at a pretty high level for you. After. Yeah, my, my whole thing is like, so then why do you interview anyone else, right? Like, if you knew that, like, Freddie Kitchens was going to be something that, um, like, if it was mandatory, Freddie Kitchens is going to be our offense coordinator moving forward, then why don't you just promote Freddie Kitchens, like, immediately, right? Like, they, they went and interviewed people who are more qualified for the job um, and then just promote them from within. It just doesn't – I don't know. The process – kind of led me to a different place mentally and then they hired kitchens and i was like well that i mean i guess like i don't know he wasn't even the interim head coach you know yeah you guys didn't even think of him I mean, to that extent you guys he wasn't the offense coordinator before the season you know i i just kind of feel like i mean by far like he's the most underqualified hire so far right i think everyone can agree to that no matter no matter i don't think i don't i don't think everyone would agree to that but okay. he's been a, he has he's oh my god he's been an offense coordinator no 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 half, like oh my god he, i mean personally i don't i don't i don't really care like, i mean i i understand keeping momentum going forward but he's not very qualified for this job and like i don't understand why you interviewed other people knowing that if the stipulation was freddie kitchens has to be here no matter what yeah uh all right uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Bucks hiring uh, Bruce Arians. Shout out to Bruce I mean, who got is... the fuck out of Dodge, dude. Because Bruce, mean... Bruce, like, we, we had Arizona as the worst team coming into the year, and I had to face, like, blowback from people at, like, hot take sports radio in Phoenix and shit being like, how is this team going to get worse? And I'm like, look at the roster. What are you talking about? How is this team going to get worse? You lost Carson Palmer. <laughs> You're starting a rookie quarterback in Sam Bradford. And, like, Mike Glennon, right? And then it yeah. ends up being, like, they're the worst team in football, first overall pick, which is, like, the expectation, even though, you know, Fal- or, uh, Cardinals fans didn't want that. But shouts to Bruce for just being, like, yeah, it might be time for me to retire for a year and come back. Shouts to him. He won. Hey. Yeah. Curry, big shout-outs to him. And, I mean, this Bucks offense, I, I – I'm, I'm sure the passing offense will be fine, but, man, it's going to be fun, especially – Especially if Bruce can convince Deshaun Jackson to stay, like that's kind of the guy that he's loved having in his offense. Whether it's you know John Brown or Mike Wallace, someone like that, that that could be a spot. If he can convince Djax to stay, then Djax could be in for a pretty big year, even at age thirty-three. I want to say. I mean, he he's getting up there, but yeah, as long as he yeah, he can still run. His Uh, his cap is kind of big, and like he's in a spot where like cap casualty isn't out of the question, right? But yeah, I think within yeah. the spectrum of this offense, especially if, you know, Bruce is coming out and saying, you know, they're fully committed to, like, building the entire team around Jameis Winston. And if you think of Jameis Winston's skill set within the spectrum of his offense and scheme, right? Like, 
Deshaun Jackson would be a nice piece to have. I don't see why you would let that walk, right? Which is very different than, like, if Mike McCarthy got the Tampa job, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson should probably be a cap casualty, right? Like, those are two very different teams, I think. Yeah, uh, and here's a question about the Buccaneers from arriving somewhere but not here at in absentia 83. Does Tampa now have the ability to be the surprise team next year with Arians and Bowles? Arians is a great tracker with fixing quarterbacks and hiring Leftwich as OC, who reminds me of Winston, especially the throwing motion. Okay. Uh, uh, is huh. this too perfect? Ve- yeah, huh. Uh, is this too perfect? Vea will be a stud nose tackle in the 3-4. I mean, do they have the ability to be a surprise team next year? I don't think so. Because you still got to get through Atlanta and New Orleans in your own division, you know? That's, you, that you secondary went... is still bad, and the other three teams are still good at throwing the ball. Mm, two teams are good at throwing the ball. We calling out Cam on this podcast? I mean, I'm calling out the Panthers. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Panthers' passing offense is not anything to be afraid of. I agree. I just think their their offensive line is going to get better at some point. And then once the offensive line gets better, they're going to figure it out. Um, but still agree. Yeah. Uh, Tampa, man, that defense has to get better before anything happens. And Todd Bowles' defenses in, in uh, New York were good. Um, it was his offenses that held him back. And uh, firing John Morton, no big deal. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see how this team gets better in a hurry. Like, you need four new starters in the secondary. Right. Yeah. It, and, you know, one thing I will give credit to Bowles is he, he did put up respectable defenses and he was never really given a pass rusher. You know, I mean, like, well, yeah, he likes of, to send inside backers and shit. Yeah, but even just like having one guy, like, could you find yeah. one guy that could come off the edge? Because I remember when he, when he first got there, like they had that log jam with, with Mo Will, Sheldon Richardson and, and Leonard. And then uh, now it's just Leonard there and he's not really anything special or anything to get excited about. So, you know, I, I think that having Vea did show something towards the end of the season, and if they decide to keep McCoy, like, that that could be probably maybe the best front he's played with so far, or yeah, at, least, J- in, at least in the last couple of years. JPP's Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that front is fine. Um, I, I just worry about the secondary. secondary. Yeah, I worry about the secondary a lot. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. Um, the NFC South is kind of a murderer's row right now. I mean, Atlanta's Atlanta in terms of like talent is a playoff team, especially if that defense gets healthy, right? Like it wouldn't surprise anyone if Atlanta goes 12 and four next year or something. So I don't know, I guess maybe we'll see. (laughs) I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you want to just do some random questions? Sure. Let's do it. All right, uh, this is from our pal Jason. I don't want I don't want to butcher this last name. Our pal Jason, you're in the chat. You know who you are. JKJ. Uh, are the yeah JKJ? <laughs> are the Titans realistically looking at drafting a quarterback high next season if Mariota remains this bad? Yes, they should. We we were talking about it in the chat, fuck yesterday, right? Where we were like, where, where does Mariota go from now? And I think you and I were kind of in the same spot where we're like, one year rentals until he has the bad year. Right, and then when he has the bad year, pull the rug out from underneath him. Because right now, he's not great, but he's also not bad enough to justify taking the L up front of drafting a rookie quarterback and knowing that he's going to be awful that first year. Because Mariota somewhere else will have a better first year than that rookie quarterback. Um, so I think you kind of have to have him either 
you know, have have the fall off the face of the earth year where like he's as bad as like uh what Case Keenum did this year or what Blake Bortles did this year as veterans or Joe Flacco, whoever it may be. Um or he has to kind of break out and you give him that contract, I guess. But right now, like the past two years, Mariota hasn't been great, even though for a first, second, third year quarterback, he was doing good at the beginning. He's kind of fallen off recently. Yeah, so I mean, even if you just look at like Mariota's played with a lot of like offensive coordinators over the year. Uh, I mean, it was a floor last year. He spent time with Mike Mike Malarkey and Ken Wisenhunt. I mean, this guy is, is it's been kind of all over the place in a pretty short amount of time, and now he's coming up on his fourth offensive coordinator. I think either fourth or fifth in five years or four years. So, uh, Godspeed to Marcus. I, I just think that the best thing probably or or the way that thing this is headed is they just get a clean break and both of them get to start over. I, th- I think that that might be best for them, especially if he struggles this year. Yeah, and I wonder if they hired a college guy. Because remember, Vrabel was going to hire Ryan Day as the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. who's now the head coach of Ohio State. Um, so I wonder if they look at a college guy there, which would be interesting. Um, I don't know how that works within the rules of college football now where, like, USC can turn down the NFL's request for interviews for a head coach, right? Like the NFL doesn't have that power. I don't know why the NFL gave college football that power. Probably to protect guys' jobs in the NFL, right? To make sure that it's like, you know, as Evan Silva would say, a cocoon, right? Probably something like that, but we'll see. I mean, uh, it was rumored that uh, Cliff Kingsbury was going to hire Jake Spivitol, who was the offensive coordinator at West Virginia and now the head coach of Texas Texas State. Uh, but I think last time I checked, uh, he had tweeted some pro Texas State thing. So I think he probably got a pay raise and it's going to stay there. So I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury is going to hire someone like Eric Morris, who's at Incarnate State. He was his old OC uh, before. I, I don't know what Cliff is going to do, honestly, in terms of staffing his team. But I wouldn't be surprised if NFL teams start looking at college offensive coordinators and start stealing them because – I mean, that's where all the innovation is. It's not like there's a bunch of super overqualified offensive coordinators in the NFL right now who need, you know, another spot to be at. Right. Uh, next question from Kevin Cole, who does, uh, he's the director of data analytics at Rotor Grinders. Uh, he asked for Kyler Murray takes. Don't see how one of these teams that miss out on Haskins doesn't trade into the end of the first to get him. First round means he goes to NFL. Uh, mm. I mean, just on just on the field I don't really I mean I get I get the the size stuff but like just when you watch him play like dude this this is a guy that to me belongs in the first round somewhere uh yeah I mean he, are, he's are, so talented let, let's go uh off the cup a little bit are you are you going to be writing about Kyler Murray because if you don't then I will but I yeah guess. I'm gonna do it okay cool um so yeah, Kyler Murray, like, if he gets – if he's drafted high enough, it makes sense for him to play in the NFL. And what that means, I don't know. But I think there's a better chance of Kyler Murray playing in the NFL than people really realize, and there's some stuff going behind the scenes with that. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it happening. I mean, who else – I mean, I guess teams are going to talk themselves into Daniel Jones, which is, okay, Gross. all right, do it. Um, I understand the argument for, like, sitting uh, Drew Locke and developing him. I, I think we could both at least see how a team could convince themselves of that more more than a Daniel Jones. 
Uh, but outside of that, man, there's not a lot of quarterbacks in this draft class unless you're a big Will Greer or Jared Stidham type guy. I mean, I guess, man. I don't know. But if if Kyler – if if a team wants to make sure that Kyler doesn't play baseball, they can do it. I guess I'll say that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, just like strictly from an on-field perspective, like let's just say, you know – he just, you know, figures everything out for himself in, you know, whatever is going on behind the scenes. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to play football. I'm going to declare for the draft. Uh, I mean, as of this recording, he has a week to do that. So I don't, I wouldn't expect anything that soon. Uh, or, I mean, well, you know, well, that's the deadline. So whatever. But just on the field, like, it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's easy to see how he could succeed in the NFL. Uh I mean, he's mobile. He's got a cannon. I mean, just when you think about that throw that he had versus Alabama when they were trying to come back, where he evaded that dude in the pocket and just launched like a 50-yard dime in the back of the end zone down the field. It's just like the physical talent, even at his size, is just off the chart. I, I guess like really the only thing he should be afraid of is maybe his weight because that's something that, that could come back to get him because if you're like 170 pounds running back out there, I'm sure you can get hurt a little bit easier. But man, like he's just such an impressive football player that – I just don't see if he's all in and NFL teams believe that he's all in on football. I just don't see how a player of his caliber gets out of the first round. Yeah, especially after the Lamar stuff, right? Like we've seen what Lamar can do. I I think, you know, as much as people want to say, like, after a half of football that Lamar should just stop playing the sport entirely, right? I think Lamar doing what he did, taking a team to the playoffs, you see – the Ravens fan, the Ravens players were like bitching at their home fans, right? Where they were like put in Flacco, and the players like went up to the fans and were like, "He's the reason we're here," right? Yeah, I, I think that's some positive reinforcement for that. And I think when you look at rookie quarterbacks, right? I wrote that piece about rookie quarterbacks and like what you should expect from them and stuff. If you look at most of the rookie quarterbacks who pass well, um, whether it be you know Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton. Um, RG3, well, not so much Matt Ryan, but like RG3, like those type of guys, right, who are some of the very few quarterbacks who as rookies were difference makers, right? Um, The offensive staff was forced to adapt to them, right? Yeah. And if an NFL team is drafting Kyler Murray, there's almost no way that mentally they are drafting Kyler Murray to not adapt to Kyler Murray. So I think Kyler Murray actually probably could have some early success relative to other rookie quarterbacks, like the pot, like traditional NFL quote unquote pocket type quarterbacks. Right. Um, where like, if, if you're in a spot where you're like, we have to use motion, we have to be, you know, four wide sets, whatever to accommodate Kyler Murray's passing talents. Then I think you could have early success with Kyler Murray faster than maybe even a guy like Dwayne Haskins or something like that. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just think he's a really, really just phenomenal player. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I'm just, I would love to see him at the NFL level because I think he could be a great success. Uh, I think let's move on to, to uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think you're going to. yeah. Uh, let's move on to these divisional games. Uh, and the first game on Saturday is the Indianapolis Colts playing the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs have not won a home playoff game 
since 1994 when Joe Montana was their uh, starting quarterback and they beat uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So what's the spread on this game? Uh, I'll check it right now. I think it was like six or something like that. Um, I had it as a stay away in my my gambling column this week just because I don't. The Colts are hot and like there's justification for them being this far into the playoffs. Kansas City, you know, at the end of the day, Andy Reid is managing the time in a playoff game, right? And that line is high enough. Uh, it's five and a half. Yeah, so basically six. Yeah, I mean, this is probably, I mean, from a gambling perspective, this is probably a stay away game. Just because, you know, I, I was hitting at it earlier, but there is like an avenue for the Colts to win this game. Like, it, it, I, I know it's going to sound like super duper hardcore, old man football cliche, but like, if they can just run the ball and no, kind of mill the Yeah, Kansas City's, Kansas City's defense is weird because I think everyone thinks their pass defense is awful, but their pass defense is basically average, right? But their run defense yeah. is like awful, 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 awful. Like Seattle wishes they could play Kansas City every week. Type. Yeah. I mean, just in pure adjusting their yards per attempt uh, on defense, the Chiefs, they rank 13th. Which is, hey, I mean, that that's better than I think people would, would say, uh, just based on how people talk about the Kansas City's defense. But if you looked at their run defense and you look at the expected points on pro football reference, they are 31st. Uh, and they gave up five yards to carry this year and 19 rushing touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, here comes Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and all those boys who can just run you the fuck over. I, I think for the Chiefs defense to have like a really productive game here, you're probably going to need Chris Jones and D4 to just go the fuck off and get penetration in the backfield. But we just saw this Colts offensive line just steamroll Watt and Clowney and Marlon Mack got more 20-yard runs in that game than the Texans gave up all season. So uh, good luck at least stopping them on the ground. But then obviously you have the caveat of the Chiefs offense just buzzsawing through every single team that they play. And the Colts play a lot of uh, what Tampa 2 this year. And I, I just don't really see how Mahomes doesn't carve that the fuck up. Like, they just have so much speed on offense, you know, and, and Mahomes can throw it over anyone's head. I, I, I think this is going to have to be a shootout, but if, I mean, if they get into a shootout, I'm, I'm going to take the Colts. I mean, I'm going to take the Chiefs, but if the, if the Colts can get to a situation where they just don't let Mahomes get on the field that often, that, that's probably their best avenue towards success. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that in this game, the loser is going to have more interceptions. Like, I, I, that's, that's my only real take. And this, because I think that's really what's going to decide this game. Because um, both of these quarterbacks at times have thrown interceptions this year, um, and really, I, I just think that that's going to be the biggest the biggest difference between the two is which which one of these guys is going to cough up the ball to the other team. Because once they have it, I mean, both both teams are when their defenses are on the field should be just frightened, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you should be like, yeah, when both teams' fan bases are going to be terrified when their defense is on the field. And, you know, and then for, to the Colts' defense, it's not even like the Colts' defense, it's not even like Colts fans should be afraid of their own defense right. because, like, they did have a pretty productive year. It's just like, whoa, here comes the best passing offense that we've seen in, in some time. I mean, like, this is like comparable to what Matt Ryan was doing in 2016 in terms of just 
in terms of uh, like how they compare to the league average. So I, I, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game, but that point total of 5.5 or 6, wherever you find it, is something that you probably want to stay away from just because like there is an avenue that where the Colts could come in through and, and sneak a win on the road. Yep. All right, Sunday night game, or Saturday night game. I almost skipped uh, two games, my bad. Dallas at the Los Angeles Rams. This game is a seven-point uh, line. This is like your super teaser special, right? This is the first leg of any playoff tease, is Rams minus one. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on that. Tease it down to Rams minus one. The, the thing that worries me, though, is like – which Jared Goff are you getting? You know, because if you if you just look at Jared Goff's splits from the first eight games to the last eight games, in the first eight games, he averaged 9.6 yards per attempt. In the last eight games, he averaged 7.4 yards per attempt, which, you know, 7.4, I think that's still around league average in terms of yards per attempt. But that 2.2 yards drop-off is the difference between Pat Mahomes and Case Keenum on the year. Like that, yeah. like you're seeing two two drastically different players for the season, and it's just kind of like what what Jared Goff are you going to get here? Because he's kind of the key to it. Because even if you just look at the Rams game against the Falcons in the playoffs last year, they pretty much just said, "All right, well we'll just squat on all these receivers, all these screens to Todd Gurley. We're gonna match up Keanu Neal and Deion Jones to Todd Gurley. We're not gonna let him do shit." And now, okay, Jared Goff. Go be a big boy quarterback and make these throws down the field in tight windows, and he just couldn't do it. And we've seen him struggle in situations like that against the Bears this year. Even against the Eagles, he wasn't great. Uh, It's just something that you kind of have to be worried about if you're a Rams fan. But at the same time, like Dallas's pass defense is a a little overrated this year, and I think we're both on the same page there at least. Very, very extremely. But Dallas's run offense is probably – the most underrated unit in football, I think. Because a lot of people point to, like, Connor Williams not doing well, right? And I think we look at, like, teams like Seattle, and just because they run a lot doesn't mean they run well. Dallas runs a lot and runs well. Like, they're a difference maker in the run game, and that's can't be said across the board for teams that, you know, establish the run, right? <laughs> so I, so I, think, yeah. I think that could be a little bit of a game changer, but – you know, the Rams are pretty comfortable in terms of, like, if they have to go run against run, right, match run production, I think they're fine doing that. Um, the thing that I will say about the golf thing, so I do the AYA value thing and adjust for defenses, right? Um, when you look at Jared Goff's value in the Minnesota game, which was naturally broadcast, right, the value he had in that game is matched to the rest of the season combined, you know, his other 15 games combined. So I think if you think Goff is the guy who he was against Minnesota, you're, you know, lost in the sauce a little bit, at least. Because, like, when you look at Goff's numbers, right, like, average Goff is good, but median Goff isn't really that good, right? There's a lot of average games that he's had um, relative to the defense that he's played, and I think that's kind of the worry here. Because if he's average against Dallas, which is kind of an average defense, their defense still has to come to play against Dak Prescott. So I could see the upset potential there. Um, but at the end of the day, I just kind of trust LA more. Yeah. And, you know, the thing also, like, 
if you want to put, if you were just talking about Dallas's run game and like they, you know, I don't establish the run doesn't mean anything, but they are like legitimately very good at running the football. Both Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott are both really good at running the football. And the Rams are giving up 5.1 yards per carry this year, which is worse than the NFL's. And like, I know they have Aaron Donald, but if you can find a way to, I mean, Aaron Donald's going to get his no matter what you put out there. I mean, you could put a, a line of five Hall of Famers, and he's, he's going to get his. But if you can just find a way to minimize some of the impact that he brings to the game and, like, the rest of that defense, it's really up for the taking. Like, Dallas should be able to run on this defense even without some of the – even with some of the plays that Aaron Donald's going to make. And I think that that could be a difference in them. Maybe, like, like right, like you want to tease it down to one because I, I think that Dallas can keep it close enough at least where if if, if you want to bet on Dallas plus seven, I, I wouldn't really be, you know, disgusted with that just because of the advantage that Dallas has on the ground. And we talk about how run, how run game on a whole is not more valuable than pass than, – than running – than throwing the ball. And, you know, it's not even close. But in a one-game sample, like – it can come back to bite you. And, and that's how Dallas is going to have to win this game. Like you're going to have to get medium golf where he's just kind of, you know, he, he, he like the, the bad is pretty much outweighs the good. And then you're going to have to run the ball effectively, which they can definitely do. So I think teasing it down to one and taking LA to win at home makes more sense than keeping it at seven and expecting to cover a seven point spread. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is we talk about regression teams all the time. And by the way, we hit on all three of them this year. No big deal. Um, Two of the three teams who are regression teams next year are these teams. It's Dallas and the Rams. So you're talking about teams that have won a lot of close games. They're really comfortable in this type of thing. Um, I think that goes in with teasing down the Rams, too, because the Rams aren't really a team that blows out teams. Like, honestly. Mm -hmm. Their defense is not – they haven't been good this year, really. Yeah, so – Outside of Aaron Donald being the greatest player I've ever seen. All right. Sunday morning games. The Los Angeles Chargers, New England Patriots. Um, these teams are basically even in terms of, like, any sort of numbers that you look at. Um, so we'll we'll have some bold statement about one of these quarterbacks need to retire based off of one game sample size. I love the NFL just dicking the Chargers two weeks in a row with 10 a.m. starts. On the East Coast, after the team basically yeah. plays road games every week. But did you see the post game? Uh, Philip Rivers was talking about that. We brought that up on the pod. I don't know if it was one of the ones that got recorded and we released or not. But I was talking to you about how, you know, should we really think about the Chargers as, like, a team that can win on the road because of their stadium situation? And, like, Philip Rivers brought that up, which, like, kind of throws, you know, the Chargers, like, fan base in L.A. under the bus, right? But he said in the post game where he was like, we've basically played road games all year for like two years. So this doesn't bother us that much. We just won on the road on the East Coast. We'll just have to do it again. Plus, like the, the Patriots defense isn't Baltimore's defense. They already beat the de- best defense that they even can play in the NFL, in uh, the playoffs. Baltimore's defense is better than any other defense in the NFL right now that's still eligible to play. So I don't know. Did, did Phillip Rivers already pass his biggest test right like the other side of the ball still has to um come up with their half for him to win the game but if philip rivers did that against the ravens you can't really expect worse than that in any other playoff game yeah and there was one question i'm trying to find there were two two questions that we got about this game one from uh mb at rasball underscore mb 
does New England do anything better than the Chargers? Like that's, I think that's a pretty good question to ask. In quick game, no quick game, Qu- quick game, yeah. But like on a on a whole, uh, I think the Chargers are much better. I think the Chargers yeah. are the better team here. They are. What's the, what's are, the spread on this? They are game? slightly. Uh, it's four now. It used to be four and a half, and I took it at four and a half. Yeah, Patriots favorites at home. Yeah, but I took I took Chargers on the road to cover four and a half just because. I don't know. It should be like three or two and a half. It's just two points of value. It's not that big of a deal, but there is still some value there. Yeah, and then actually there were three questions we got about this game. Uh, this is from Nick Jerevisani, uh, Nico Jerevisani. Uh, what's the most painful form of hashtag Charger shit that leads to a loss on Sunday? Uh, well, I think first you need the snow. Yeah, I'm thinking like intentional safety. But like at the wrong right. time. That's exactly what to say. So here, here, here's that's literally exactly about to say. So I think you needed to snow first, and then you get into a situation where maybe the Chargers are up. So it's snowing, and the Chargers are up twenty-one to twenty late, and the Patriots have all three timeouts, right? So the Chargers they don't get it on the first two downs. Patriots have to burn two timeouts. So now you're sitting there at third down. And the Patriots have one timeout, and Anthony Lynn elects to throw the ball from a shotgun set, and it's snowing. So the ball slips out the center's hand, flies over Phillip Rivers' head, through the back of the end zone for a safety, and now the Chargers lose. Now the Chargers are down 22 to 21, giving the ball back to the Patriots as the game ends. I think that's like the peak form of hashtag Chargers shit that could happen in this game and the most pain that could happen to Chargers fan within this game. You you know damn well if it's snowing, Bill Belichick's going to cut out the headsets. Like, ah, I don't know. The, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the weather, the weather impacted the headsets. I don't know how that happened. You have to send <laughs> index cards into Phillip Rivers to get the playoff now in a two-minute drill. Big time, big time cheater. Uh, and then from our pal, uh, Jug Knight at Where's the Seaf. <laughs> Why do you think the Pats are still going to win the Super Bowl, SMH? This is directed at you. Oh, uh, they're the Patriots. They do that. They do that a lot. They've okay. been to like nine AFC Championship games in a row. I don't know. Right. It's, not, it's uh, not that deep. Fair. It's not that deep. No promise. Yeah, I, I do think the one thing that, that the Patriots are going to have to deal with is this is the first good team they've played since uh, Josh Gordon left. Right. Yeah, that. Because yeah, that's ha- another big thing. Before, because like before, I mean, you got to remember early on in the year they were they had three wide receivers on the roster, right? Before, oh, yeah, before Edelman came off of, off of suspension. So like, yeah, this is the first time they're really getting the pressure applied to them, and it's not like the Patriots have played a bunch of good teams either. Right. Uh. So they they had Josh Gordon for the Steelers game, and then, uh. They didn't have him for their last two games, which were against the Bills and the Jets, uh, which they won by a combined score of, what, 62 to 15? All right. Sounds sounds good to me. I didn't watch them. <laughs> Neither did I. I just, did, uh, I just looked at their box scores on ESPN. Uh, so, yeah, the Chargers are going to be a much tougher test, obviously. And I think that that Gordon thing is something that could come back and bite them in the ass. But until we see it. Don't know. Uh, I think I'm in on the Chargers plus four and a half, though. I do. And losing it, losing in excruciating fashion. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to lose that bet and feel awful about it. It's a January tradition. 
Um, <laughs> last game. What's the last game? Uh, Philadelphia at New Orleans. New Orleans is a eight to eight and a half point favorite at home. With uh, oh Nick, man, Nick, Nick Foles, the best clutch quarterback of all time. Don't look at uh, the Atlanta game at all. Don't look at the game he just had where he threw two interceptions. Don't, don't look at either don't look Atlanta at, game. Don't look at any pre uh, regular season game that he's played over the last two years, or any year other than the Chip Kelly year. Yeah, cl- clutch quarterback. Selective, selective <laughs> I mean, here's the like the pain of being an Atlanta Falcons fan is like people were talking about how amazing Nick Foles was in that postseason run. Like Atlanta's defense had him where they wanted him, and then they just farted right before halftime. Had that knee ball that that got caught by Torrey Smith and he ran into field goal range. Like Nick Foles was not good in that game either. He had like, you know, and, and this is some one of the things like where you, how much are you going to weigh postseason performance because. You know, the the grand total of Nick Foles' career says, oh, this guy stinks. Like, But uh, but when you look at some of the playoff performances he's had, especially last year, you know, it looks pretty good. But even last week against the Bears, like, you're right, he, he still threw two interceptions. But I feel like this is probably the, the other game you want to tease, right? You want to tease this yeah, down to, to, the Saint, to Saints, too. Yeah. You're, you're reading uh, my pick mind. Them to win. You're speaking my language, boy. Yeah, you, you got it perfectly. <laughs> This is how we lose. This is how we lose two games in the divisional <laughs> round. Is we put money on the Chargers and on the fucking tees. Yeah. <laughs> we put we put money on the Chargers and the Saints, two of the most trustworthy postseason teams that we've oh seen in God. quite some time. We should we should, <laughs> we should say that uh, Sean Payton came into the locker room with like an armed guard, a Lombardi Trophy, and like two hundred grand. It was like, you guys want this shit? Win three more games. I mean, it's it. He's like he's like a meme, dude. I don't I don't know. It's a reverse bounty. He's next level with this shit. <laughs> reverse bounty. Reverse bounty. Coach of the year. He calls he calls plays. Matt Nagy. Fuck out of here. Matt Nagy would have done that. Uh, he should have done that to Cody Parkey. You want this shit? Kick, you know kick two more field goals. I would love to get like once Sean Payton retires, I would love to get a football life on him. Like that dude is insane. There's like uh, lots of weird it, rumors about Sean Payton, where it's like, uh, I'm not held responsible for anything I say within the next ten seconds. All right, there's speculation that Sean Payton is like, you know, may or may not dabble in in some narcotics and may have a second family in West Virginia, and that's why they host, uh, you know, preseason stuff up there, like preseason practices. Like, there's a lot of like those type of rumors, right? Just remember, Justice was not held responsible for anything that he just said before I started speaking. So yeah. That doesn't count, uh, but I mean, yeah, he's a loon. I mean, who who does that to to bring out two two hundred thousand dollars in cash and a Super Bowl trophy into the locker room and says, "If you want it, go, we just gotta win three more games." I mean, honestly, I can't lie. That would that would motivate me to work a little bit harder because because uh, what he's alluding to there is the Super Bowl bonus is like two hundred twenty eight thousand dollars, which is something that we need to talk about in the future, like. Drew, Drew Brees didn't even blink. He was like, fuck out of here. That's right, less than I make right. in October. Right. Because from a monetary... Because you, you can make the case, and we don't have to really dive into it too much, you can make the case that financially it doesn't make sense for any player to play in the playoffs. Well, so like, <laughs> like, so like that's that's half of an undraft, undrafted rookie salary right there, right? But like Drew Brees is making four times that in a regular season game. Right. right, like the disparity between how much NFL players are getting paid is drastic. 
to say the least. And I, I think what's the do you remember what the wild card bonus was? I want to say dude, there's like playoff it, games where you, it's you less make than, like thirty grand. Yeah. Yeah, I think the wild card team, like the wild card loser, gets something like thirty-four thousand dollars. And it's like, if you're an NFL player, it's like, why did I even that, play? In that was the big life? thing with the Le'Veon <laughs> Bell thing, where people, I thought that Le'Veon Bell could have come back at the end of the year if he wanted the accured season. He obviously didn't want the accured season, but if he did want to come back and play, play uh, the last what was it, six weeks or six games, so that he could accure that season, he probably would have sat out the playoffs, which I thought would have just sent. NFL media to chaos, but Antonio Brown already did that for us already. So I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm looking it up right now, and there's an Andrew Brandt article from 2016. So I'm assuming it's a little bit higher than this. Uh, <laughs> but wild card division winners get a twenty five thousand dollar bonus. Wild card teams get like so the fifth and sixth seed get a, a twenty three thousand dollars. Divisional rounds gets $25,000 conference championship you get $46,000 like dude these like these the, obviously like teams are making a little bit more than this now because Sean Payton rolled in with $200,000 but like a lot of these guys are seeing this in a week yeah and they're taking like, they're taking and, pay cuts and, to play in the playoffs for sure absolutely yeah which is which is nuts I mean it's just more of the beauty of the NFL. the CBA I, is I don't awful really, the, the quarterback sold awful. out everyone else Drew Brees is awful he he did advocate for for pro athletes, and they all fell for it. And no one yeah. talks about it. No one talks about how Drew Brees sold out like every non quarterback in the league over the last ten years. But oh well. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have anything football related to say about this game, like on the field. Uh, shit, maybe Nick Foles gets lucky again and and, and can win another game. But when you look at the the, if you just stack these teams up, oh my god! Like the Saints are so much better than than the Eagles. It's it's really not even close. But you know, weird shit can happen. Like Nick Foles over a two game stretch, putting together like a 2016 Matt Ryan season. Uh, who yeah, knows? I mean, didn't didn't Breeze almost lose to Tyrod Taylor when he was starting for the Browns? And the only reason that they didn't was because Zane Gonzalez, the the kicker for the Browns, was kicking on like a blown hamstring or something. Yeah, he so they lost by three in that game, and Zane Gonzalez missed a field goal and an extra point. Yeah, so, Ta-da. yeah, weird shit can happen in one game. That's what you were talking about, where you're like, how much should we wait playoff games? Huh? Just treat them like another game. It doesn't seem that much harder to me. You know, it's one more yeah. game. We should count them. I think it's dumb that we don't really ever look at postseason stats when people are comparing quarterbacks and stuff like that. Right? Like, there's still games that are being played. But I also, like, don't put everything in a postseason stats at the same time. Like, that's another game. Games happen. Games are weird. Football is not just sport. Um, weird shit happens all the time. Better teams lose. But whatever. Enjoy it. It's fun. It's chaotic for that reason. Yep. Uh, so, I, I, I think that we've gone on long enough here. It's about an hour 15. Uh, but it always feels short with you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> It was better than our twenty-minute uh, podcast last week. That's yeah, for sure. Last week was. I'm. I'm honestly glad that that didn't work out because it was one of the worst, like, laziest things we've ever put together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's going to conclude episode eighty-six of Send the Edge. Unless you have anything else that you want to plug. Uh, Kyler Murray's playing pro football. Yeah, and you know, well, 
I'm going to write something a little bit more about that uh, this week. I finally had two days off for the first time in like six months. So I didn't do shit these past two days, but I'm going to get on that tomorrow. Uh, yeah, 86. We'll be back probably next week uh, with our championship preview. Adios. Five star reviews. Stars. Oh!